But my name is Caleb Crittenden. I, have, I know there's a lot of people in here that I haven't met yet. I'm really happy to be here. This is actually my first service being in the sanctuary, so glad to be up here. Um, a little <laughs> one, one, one way to be introduced to the sanctuary, so it's, it's great to be here tonight. I'm excited to, to look, at, look at God's Word and see what it says, um, and just hopefully that as we look at this, we can, we can walk out of here with something new to take with us, something that we can obey, something that we can live by. So if you don't mind, I want to say a word of prayer, and then we'll get started. <clears throat> Dear God, I want to thank you for this beautiful day. Thank you for uh, a chance to look at your word and see what it says to us. God, I just pray that tonight that it would be your words that are heard and not mine. And I pray that as we hear what you have to say to us, that we would be people who listen, people who obey, uh, people who walk out of here uh, ready to do the work you have called us to do. Um, and just, I just pray for open hearts and open ears tonight. And I pray that you would give me clarity to say what needs to be said. Uh, in your name we pray. Amen. If you'll turn with me to Matthew chapter 9, I want to look at something tonight. Uh, a very common passage, uh, some words that as a Southern Baptist church, I'm sure you've heard hundreds of times, but uh, I want to look at it tonight in maybe a way that you haven't, you haven't thought of before. Uh, we're looking specifically at those last three verses in chapter 9, uh, verses 35 through 38. Again, very common passage. Uh, so let me read that real quick and then let's see what, what, we, can, what we can get out of this. Starting in verse 35, it says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Now, at this stage in Jesus' ministry, this is chapter 9, I wanted to just real quickly to set the context here so you understand really where he's coming from here. He, he's only recently begun his ministry. A couple of chapters earlier in chapter 4, he, he gave a similar statement, uh, the, the writer of, of Matthew, about how Jesus went to town and village and preached and taught and healed diseases and stuff like that. And then chapter 5, we have the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, 5 through 7, we see, we see him preaching, him teaching, him giving a lot of advice on what the kingdom is, what the kingdom of God looks like. And then here we get uh, into chapter 9, and he's kind of restating it again to show this stuff actually happened. Jesus did this stuff, and now here we are. He's looking at this crowd, and this is what he has to say, uh, so to speak. Notice also in verse 35 that it says he went from, from city to village, um, that he showed no distinction as he went, that it wasn't just that Jesus came to, to speak to the big cities, to the to the famous people, to the rich people. He also went to the small villages, to the poor and to the needy. And I mean, there was, no, there was no discrimination in the ministry of Jesus. But as he gets to this point, he sees a crowd, and he has a particular response to that crowd. And I would, I would say that, that he does, uh, in his response, he shows us three aspects of his character that I think, as Christians, as people who want to live like Christ, who want our lives to look like Christ, should also be real for us. Three, three characteristics, three attributes that I think we should, we should have in our, in our lives. And so I wanted to look at that tonight, each of those three, and, and just kind of question what that would look like if we really were to apply these three things to our lives. First thing I see is, is uh, in, in that very, in, in verse 36, he says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So the first thing I see is that when, he, when he's confronted with this crowd, Jesus sees something. So first I'm looking at, at his eyes. He sees something. Jesus saw a crowd. 
But notice that he did not just see a crowd of faces. He didn't just see a, he didn't see the blurry busyness of, of society. He didn't just see um, faces on bodies. He didn't see strangers. He saw something much deeper than that, right? What did he see when he, when he looks at this crowd? It says he, he saw a people that were harassed and helpless. That's a pretty uh, deep description of a group of strangers, right? That's looking pretty deep at who they are. You don't just look at someone typically and, and your first impression of them is, oh, that person looks harassed and helpless. And that's a pretty, a pretty deep, introspective look at, at who the, these people are. A look that I don't think we normally take long enough to make. Normally in our day-to-day, we're, we're much more busy and worried about our schedule and our agenda and where we have to go and what we have to do to get there, that these faces, they're just faces. It's just the crowd. Nothing deeper than that. Strangers that will forget uh, the next second and move on to continue doing whatever it is that we have to get done. But notice, when Jesus sees the crowds, he sees something much deeper than that. Um, he looks at the hearts of these people, and, he, and, and the observation he makes is that they are harassed and they are helpless. And so I wanted to, to kind of look a little deeper at what, what, what those words uh, specifically, what they, would, what they mean, why he would pick those words to say. Um, other, other translations say that they look torn and thrown down. Or another one even says mangled and thrown to the ground. So these are, these are words that, they're pretty heavy words, um, maybe worth looking at a little deeper. The word, the word harassed, I'll look it up, it said to annoy persistently or to create an unpleasant or hostile situation for someone. So for me as a big brother, that word, I, I didn't really need to look that one up because I get what that means to annoy thoroughly, to put someone in, a, in an annoying situation. I have three little sisters and I have no doubt harassed them uh, a lot uh, over the years. So I, I, I got that word. Um, but I don't think that's the form of harass that he was getting at. It, it, it's also a word that's really used as a military term as well when, when, um, uh, when you know, a, a military group will repeatedly raid or attack their, their opposition. That's, that's known as harassing their opponent. So it's used in that sense. And I think that's more along the lines of what he was talking about. A group of people who have been just attacked and, and pushed down and mangled and, and left, left down uh, where they have no really response, no way to fight back, um, no way to, to have victory. So no surprise here that it's paired with the word helpless, which means without help. Uh, they Not only have they been have they been torn and, and broken by, by the world, by the enemy, but they're helpless. They have no way to get back out, to, no way to remove their harassed state. They can't do anything about it. And that's what he sees as he, as he looks at the crowd. And again, he doesn't stop there. The next thing he says, he says, they look like sheep without a shepherd. Right? That's what he sees when he looks at them. And we know we're not surprised by the word sheep. We, we talk about sheep in church all the time and how they're, they're compared to people because of all the animals, sheep are the easiest ones to be led astray and sheep are the ones who always are getting lost and getting into trouble and the shepherd's always having to go and bring them back. So this is, this is a common metaphor for us. But we might get tripped up on the shepherd part because our tendency when we think about sheep and shepherd, and I'm sure even somewhere on one of these things, that's one as well, maybe not, but a lot of times we'll see on the stained glass window, we'll see Jesus holding the little lamb over him because Jesus is the good shepherd, right? That's something we're used to. And so when we hear this statement, look like sheep without a shepherd, it might be our tendency to think, well, what happened to the shepherd? 
Wasn't Jesus supposed to be their shepherd? Wasn't, uh, why, why would Jesus, the guy who came to, to lead us home, why, why would he say these people look harassed and helpless like they're missing their shepherd? As if Jesus is in the wrong. As if he's not doing his duty to be their shepherd. And yeah, a lot of times in Scripture, uh, that metaphor is true, where the people are the sheep and Jesus is the shepherd. But I don't think that's what he's talking about in this context. There are a lot of other places in Scripture where the shepherd is actually referred to as, as the religious leaders. A lot of places throughout the Old Testament, and even a couple places in the New Testament, uh, we see this same thing about a, a shepherd and, and the sheep. And the sheep are the people, but it's the shepherds that are the, the leaders, the ones who are meant to lead these sheep, the religious leaders, the Pharisees. And so when Jesus makes this comment here, he's not talking about they're wandering around because they can't find me. They're wandering around because the shepherds aren't doing their job. Wandering around because the people who were put in a position of leadership meant to lead them are too concerned with their own affairs that they're not, they're not doing the duty they were given as the shepherds. And this is something that, that Jesus does not take lightly. Um, I was looking to see other places in Scripture where that showed up, the idea of a shepherd being the leaders. And I, I found a place... Um, in Jeremiah 23, uh, where, where God said, Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture. So again, he's not talking about Jesus here as a shepherd. He's talking about the leaders, the, the, the spiritual leaders who are mature in their faith, who aren't doing anything about the sheep. And then even more serious in Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 34, he says, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Shepherds. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the Lord says. Woe to you shepherds of Israel who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourselves with the wool, and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak, or healed the sick, or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally, so they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. I can't help but think that in this context, as Jesus looks at the crowd, that's, that's what he's feeling. That he's, he's, he's saddened by the fact that here, here's this great crowd of people, and yet they have no one to lead them. Those who know the truth, those who have been brought in on this little secret keep it all to themselves. They don't go back and look for the lost. They don't bring back in the weak. They don't strengthen those who are, are young. They, they keep it all to themselves. I can't help but wonder if that, that's the place where Jesus is coming from as he says these words. So the first thing, I hope we see people the way Jesus does. Not as faces, not as strangers, not as someone who's in our way of where we're trying to get, or someone that we can use to help us get where we're going, but people who are harassed and helpless. Now, he said all those things, you know, a long time ago, uh, way before the cross. So it would be easy for us to say that doesn't really apply to, to the world we're looking at now. But I wanted to look a little bit closer to see if it really was, was still applicable to us and I feel like it is. Got a few statistics for you that I was looking at um, as I was preparing this. Uh, 
in America, this isn't just in the world, but in America, there is one church for every 6,000 people. One church for every 6,000 people. I know we're used to South Carolina where there's one for every family, but uh, um, the, rest of the, wor- the rest of the country, is, it's not necessarily like that. Uh, one for every 6,000 people. And in America, we have 46.5 million people living in poverty. In America, the land of the free and home of the brave, uh, which is still one of the richest countries, well, probably the richest country in the world, and yet we still have 46 million people in poverty. 19, of those million, 19 million of those are children in that situation. Now looking outside of, of just physical needs, because I think that Jesus was talking about more than just a physical brokenness. I think he was looking at, at a spiritual thing as well. Looking at the world we live in, there are, um, there are 6,789 people groups in our world that are unreached with the gospel. And by people group, I mean a group of people who live in a, a similar place. They speak the same language. They have the same culture, same background. That's a people group. 6,000 of those people groups, those groups of people, uh, are what we would call unreached, meaning that less than 2% of their population have ever had access, or excuse me, less than 2% of their population are saved, meaning the other 98% have never had access to the gospel. This word that we talk about all the time, and we come in three times a week to sing about and talk about and learn more about, they've never even heard of. Now that's people groups. I wanted to make it a little plainer for us so we would get people here. Out of the 7 billion people that live in this world, that's, that's over 3 billion of them. 3,157,288,000 to be a little more precise. People on our planet who have never heard of such a word that we, we speak of tonight. Never never been let in on this book right here on the gospel that we that has has changed our lives never heard of it so as I look at the world that we live in I see a people who are harassed and helpless I see a people who are wandering around like sheep without a shepherd and I also see a lot of shepherds who are sitting in their pews. Sad to think about. So, so let's be people who see the world as it is. See people the way Christ sees them. Second, uh, it says that as he saw the crowds, that he had compassion on them. He had compassion on them. The word compassion comes from the Greek word splanchnon, which uh, never used that word, but Basically, it's the word that we get for gut and kidneys, like our, our guts, our bowels. Um, that's the word for it. And so basically, as, as Jesus sees the suffering, sees the, the harassed state of these people, the response is not just a, oh, I'm sorry. But it's a, it's a deep, a gut pain for them. It's the kind of pain that, that enters into the suffering with them. It's not just a, wow, sorry you're going through that. Uh, let me know how it turns out. It's different from that. And if we think about the example he set for us, I mean, he did. He, he entered into our suffering. He, he didn't just sit in heaven and watch and say, wow, God, your people really have turned their backs on you. No, Scripture says he left heaven and entered into our suffering, entered into our broken world. 
entered into all the, the struggles that we deal with, was tempted just like us. He, he felt compassion so deeply that he chose to enter into it with us. That's more than just sympathy. That's more than just feeling bad for someone. So if we're going to be people that, that see the world as it is, that see people the way Christ does, let's not stop there. Let's go that next step. Let's respond with compassion. Let's enter into the suffering that we, that we see in our world. Let's, let's not sit by and let our church become a place where we come to celebrate and leave the broken world to be itself. Let's, let's enter into the suffering that we see around us because this is a harassed and helpless state of being for these people and we have the solutions. We have the resources. We have what they need. In a physical level, and a spiritual level. We, we meet both needs. So let's be people that go a step beyond just seeing it and saying, oh, wow, somebody needs to do something. And be people who are, who are moved in the depths of our guts to be broken by these things. Let's be broken at the state of the world that we live in. Let's let it go deeper than just sympathy. And thirdly, start with, start with seeing, then it goes to feeling in our hearts. But third, what is, what is, how does he end this up? He says, he says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray to the Lord of the harvest that he might send out laborers into the field. So if we're going to have the eyes of Christ that see the world as it really is and the hearts of Christ that feel compassion, let's have the hands that get busy, have hands that are willing to labor, that are willing to get into the field and do what needs to be done because it's what needs to be done. And so if we don't do it, who will? It's not enough to just feel bad for them. It's not enough just to recognize that there's a problem. If we don't do something to fix it, then, then what's the point? Uh, F.D. Bruner, when it, talking about those words send out, he, he had a, a way that he, he worded it. He said that basically when he says that uh, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers, really what he's saying is it's likely referring to workers who are already in the field who need to have a fire lit under them to thrust them out of their comfort zones into a world of need. And I would argue that's, that's the state uh, of our church today. Um, it's not that the, that the work is so much and we don't have the, the manpower to do it. It's not that we don't have laborers or people who are capable of laboring. It's not that we don't have opportunity. It's not that we don't have the resources. It's not that we don't have the, the, the amount of of people who are willing to do, or who, who can do it, is that we don't have people who are willing to do it, people who actually do it. So when he says, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send people out, he's not looking for new Christians. He's looking for people who are already are there who just haven't been doing anything. And, you know, not to go back to statistics, but statistics say that about 1% of American Christians will ever share their faith. Yeah, one, one percent. I mean, and there's 99 percent of people who could easily be laborers if they would just enter the fields. Think about that for a second. We have what it takes to get the job done. The job's already getting done at a really slow pace with that 1%. But just imagine what would happen if everybody else would hop on board. 
everybody else would take the resources that they've been given, the gifts that they've been given, this truth, this gospel truth that they've been given, and join in the fight. I wonder, I wonder what would happen. I wonder how things might turn around. Those numbers, they're real. And it's easy to look at them as numbers, but it's people we're talking about. Um, I had the opportunity to spend six years of my middle and high school life living in Sri Lanka, one of those countries that is considered unreached because 98% of their population is either Buddhist, Hindu, or Muslim. Um, 98% of 20 million people is a lot of people. And I went to school every day with, with people who completely disagreed with what I believed but were 100% sure that they were going the right direction. I'm not talking about people who are just bad people. We're talking people who are way more devout in their religious beliefs than most of us ever, ever are. People who are willing to fast for 30 days and wake up at 3 in the morning to pray and do it again five times throughout the day to leave their work, shut their work down just so they can go and pray on a daily basis. I'm talking people, these people are devout in what they believe. They don't need to learn anything about religion. They know, they know how to be good people, moral people, but they are lost people. And if what we believe to be true about God's standards really is true, they have a rude awakening coming for them when they, when they eventually perish. Unless, unless God's people choose to join the field. Unless we choose to do something about, about what's going on. It's up to us, really. Um, there's, there's a story, David Platt tells this story uh, about a ship. Uh, maybe you've heard this or not, but there's a, it was a ship called the SS United States. And it was built uh, during World War II to be the, the biggest troop carrier ever built. It was built to send these troops into the battlefield to fight for our freedom in World War II. Um, huge project. I mean, it cost so much money to, to be completed. Uh, it was, it was going to be able to carry um, 15,000 troops into battle. But it wasn't finished until 1953, so we didn't need it anymore. By the time it was done, the war was over, and so you don't need a troop carrier then. So I guess what they did with this huge ship that was made to be a troop carrier, made for battle, made for war, they turned it into a luxury liner. And they took these, these bunks that had been made to fit tons of, of soldiers and turned them into luxury suites. And instead of being able to hold 15,000 troops, it could now hold about two or 3,000 rich, lucky patrons who were going to go on the cruise of their life. And it had huge pools and huge decks for parties and events and all kind of ways for the rich and famous to just live lavishly. Now, take those two images, the troop carrier and the luxury liner, and let me just ask you this. Which of those two pictures looks more like our church? Not Mount Airy, but the American church. Be honest with me. Which one looks more like it? The luxury liner. Yeah. 
where we, we just, we live so lavishly. Where we come in to be fed and we walk out feeling great and we just wait until next week so we can charge up again and we have events and all kind of special things to make us feel better and to serve our members and, and we build buildings and we do all this stuff and we have all this great stuff and live in such excess ignoring the bullets that are flying all around us. I think the church was built to be a vessel for war. I think the church was built to prepare people to send them out in the battlefield just like a troop carrier. But I think for some reason, maybe it's the American dream, I don't know, but we've, we've turned it into this luxury liner to make us, the Christians who are already in the pack, feel better about ourselves and, and fulfilled and happy and comfortable. A luxury liner functions differently than a, than a troop carrier. It's the same boat and it's the same motor and it's the same, you know, captain even. But the way it functions is very different. When you're on a troop carrier, everything has a purpose and you got to ration out things to make them last and you got to make the most of the space you have and you got to use every resource to its fullest potential. And there's no time to waste. There's no time to sit around. There's no time to sit back and enjoy the sunset. you got work to be done because you have a goal to accomplish and there's a time ticking to get it done. Luxury liner, you can take your time. You can sit back. You can enjoy a game of bridge. You can enjoy lounging by the pool, right? That's because wartime and peacetime are two very different things. I think we've kind of gotten confused on which place we're in. I hope those numbers will remind you we're, we're definitely in the middle of war. The war for the souls of humanity. Are we going to settle for being a luxury liner that, that enjoys its excess? Or are we going to put our petty needs aside and say, I'm ready to fight. I'm ready to hop on the troop carrier and make use of this, this vessel that God has created. I wonder how things might change if, if God's people realized how urgent this cause was. There's a time coming where we're going to have peace time. We can enjoy the luxury liner. I'm telling you, it's coming. We can enjoy it for all of eternity. But until then, we have work that has got to be done. And here's why. Just today, 28,000 people died of hunger. 28,000. And we had a good Sunday dinner today, I bet. Guys, 28, just 28, not 28,000. 28 is too many. And that's just from hunger, hunger alone. On average, 150,000 to 160,000 people will die every single day. And earlier I told you about how many were unreached, almost half of the population. So of that, close to 80,000 people a day are dying without access to the gospel or dying without ever knowing that Jesus Christ loved them enough to give his life for them. And just to put that into perspective for you, there's 86,400 seconds in a day. So you know what that means. 
That means that literally every second that passes, every second that goes by, another person is leaving this earth for an eternity where they're separated from their Creator. Every second is happening. And it happens again. And again. And again, it happens every second of the day. So this is urgent. This is not something that we can put off for tomorrow. This is not something that we can look at and say, one day we'll figure out a solution. Guess what? We have the solution. Pray to the Lord of the harvest that he might send out laborers into the field. We've all been given a field. We all work somewhere. We all live somewhere. We all shop somewhere. We have a field. We've got the tools we need to use. We've got so much more than we need. So will we be people who who see the world as it really is? Will we be people that, in response, have compassion? The kind of compassion that enters into the suffering of the people that we see. Not the kind of compassion that leaves them starving at our doorstep while we come in here and celebrate. And if we're going to have that compassion, will we be people who are willing to get our hands dirty? Willing to put off celebrating peacetime and get busy in wartime? I hope we will because the, the charge is pretty, is pretty serious here. It's pretty urgent. And somebody, somebody has got to do it. I hope that that can be us. As I was thinking about it, I was reminded of the places in Scripture um, that, that talk about where uh, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Um, passages like that that are all throughout Scripture. And as I was thinking about it, that's encouraging to me. It, it's exciting to know that there will be a day when, when God will receive the glory he deserves, when, when, when people from all over the world in every language will praise him for who he really is. But as I thought about that, I was, I was really, really hurt by another reality, and that is that Scripture also makes it clear that, there, that not every person will end up in heaven. That that's the narrow path to heaven and, and few find it, but the path to death is that the one that many find. So the implication there is that there's going to come a day when the whole world comes to realize that God is who he says he is and Jesus Christ is the only way to him. And they will praise him and they will worship him the way he deserves. But sadly, that means that many of those who bow to their knees and worship Christ will then have to stand up and enter into an eternity separated from him. They won't get the luxury of, of, of hell in ignorance. They don't get the luxury of suffering for eternity without knowing what they could have had. They will get a chance to see God as who he says he is and then be separated from him forever. That's really hard for me to think about. 
That, that makes me wrestle with some things. That really makes me think about my priorities. How I spend my time. How I spend my money. About the opportunities that I've wasted. Chances I've missed out on. May we not take this lightly. May we do whatever we can do to push this cause forward. Whatever it costs. Not wasting any of our resources. Not, not holding back at all on the time we, it takes and, and whether or not we get to enjoy this life on our little cruise because we're at war. And it's what's needed. So, I want to pray for you, but I, I want to pray with, with thinking about this as, as we close. Uh, none of this means anything if we walk out of here without letting it affect us. I hope this changes the way you see people. I hope this changes the way you see faces. I hope this changes the way you see yourself and the way you see your plan for your life and the way you see your resources and your savings account and, and all that goes with it because this demands that we give our lives to it. That we'd be willing to be people who, who go out into the harvest field. And if we can't go overseas where those unreached people groups are, then let's send as many people as we can. And let's give sacrificially so they can go. Give all that we can give so that the people around this world can know what we have accepted to be true. God is who he says he is, and he loves his people. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for the challenge that you've given us as a people. God, I thank you that you loved us enough to reveal yourself to us, that you have, you've blessed us with, with riches uh, that, that no one can define Riches that are greater than anything this world could ever offer in an eternal life with you. I pray that as people who have experienced that, that we would not be stingy with it. I pray that we would, we would devote our lives to the cause of bringing as many people in as we can. And I pray that you would break our hearts for the world, break our hearts for our neighbors, for our coworkers, for our students, break our hearts for this, this broken, harassed, and helpless world around us. So much so that we get our hands busy with the work that needs to be done. God, create in us people who are willing to do whatever it takes to see the harvest fields uh, be full of people who praise you before it's too late. We thank you for your word and the power that it has. We just ask that you would strengthen us and help us to walk out of this building as people who are ready to go to work. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.